Welcome to the Legendarium Green Team, Episode 1. I'm your host, Kip Tan, and with me I have Little Red Book, Huron Fan, and Chesky. Today we're going to be talking about some of our favorite books, which maybe don't receive enough love. Maybe they're old, maybe they're niche, maybe they're elusive next Harry Potter, but one thing's for sure, we're going to tell you about them. One by one, we're going to give a series of elevator pitches for our favorite books, and then answer a couple questions. First up, Huron Fan. Hey, uh, call me Huron. Uh, I feel like I'm a little, I don't belong in this group. I'm a bit new to the, well, you guys seem like, uh, reading veterans. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. No, no I just mean as far as our, uh, our reading experiences, but yeah, the first book I chose was, uh, I guess it wasn't a book, but it's a series, the craft sequence. I know, uh, Chesky and Kip have read it, so I'll try to keep it short, but, uh, Oh, no, please tell everyone about the craft sequence. It deserves to be told. Very much deserves. Well, uh, first, it's a uh, high fantasy, but it's also urban fantasy, which I have never read before. Anytime I hear uh, urban fantasy, I imagine, you know, our world. Uh, it feels, and unlike most fantasy I've written, where it's really, it feels like it's uh, pulling from ancient sources or it's somewhere far in the past maybe a fantastic past it it feels more modern than really any other fantasy series i've read and that the uh the themes and the topics that they handle are very modern like it feels like it goes over like gentr gentrification is one of the themes in one of the books or uh uh oh the magic system is really cool too yeah magic is great in that book series, big part of everything that's going on with everything in the mm -hmm. whole book. So very important there. Uh, yeah. What it definitely follows uh, Sanderson's laws of magic. Really? The other day, I thought you said that uh, it wasn't so hard. It doesn't mean it has to be hard, um, but it definitely follows the laws. It has to be awesome, too. Like not not a lot of problems are, are necessarily solved with the magic outside of the reader's understanding of it. But but what laws that it does set up, it keeps to. Mm. And yeah. the restrictions are always more important. It felt like I was reading uh, sometimes contracts. The the limitations of the magic are always more important and interesting. Yeah, I felt um, so. It works like uh, people. They what are they usually priests? They make contracts with gods, and they are allowed to per, uh, pull a certain amount of power. And it works as sort of a uh, a currency, right? And really powerful gods can give away more power and use by more power, and they can sometimes power cities. Yeah, yeah. In some areas, uh, and in other areas, the humans have completely supplanted the gods and killed them and taken their powers. Oh yeah, that happened about. And and just they they just harness the natural energies of the world. Yeah. How many years before the first book did that happen? I'm not sure. Not sure. Fairly recently. Yeah, referenced a couple times, but they never get into too many specifics. They never they never get into it, but several of the characters were around when it happened. Yeah. Yeah, especially in the first book. I, I think I read them in order because uh, it's another one of those strange series where they're written out of order. Yes. But you could read them in any order and still enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true. In fact, yeah, I don't even know what order it was written in, but I read it in chronological order. So chronological, not publication. Yeah, the first book is Three Parts Dead by Max Gladstone. 
Oh yeah, I should have given the author. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one. I thought it was really good. Started great. Um, had me guessing all the way to the end. At least personally, I didn't see mm-hmm. the ending coming. Kipton, I don't know if you saw it coming. You might have. I did. <laughs> see look at that smart brain there there's nothing wrong with that finding things so, out beforehand right i did but the thing is is that a good author telling a good story it doesn't matter if you see the end because the, the journey is part of the joy of the story oh so absolutely there, there there are some beautiful moments just in that first book oh. yeah journey before destination all that yeah and i love the characters i especially love elaine Kavarian. But I think that might be enough about the craft sequence. Yeah, I agree. Uh, should we move on? Mm-hmm. Let's move on. Yep. <laughs> oh, one question. Uh, who, do you th- who do you think would most enjoy uh, the craft sequence? Um, well, it's got a lot of diverse characters. And I mean that in the best way possible. Because it, it includes a lot of uh, minorities. Like sexual minorities or uh, mm-hmm. even just uh, racial minorities. So maybe people who are looking for something inclusive or something very unique, because that's why I enjoyed it. Sounds good. 100% agreed. Okay. All right, Kipton, I think you're up now. Next up. Yep. Okay. So my book is Soon I Will Be Invincible. It's a deconstruction of comic book tropes told from the perspective of a new member of an analog of the Justice League, but with imposter syndrome. Equally, it's also told from the point of view of an evil grad student genius that turned his jerk jock rival into Superman. Not kidding. That's basically what happens and has been living it down for the rest of his life. It might be a little bit fluffier than some other treatments of the concept, but it's still very insightful and enjoyable. And I recommend it a lot. If you're the kind of person who needs the grittiness of Watchmen, then I would say maybe this is it might be for you. Um, But if you also need the depth and like just the length of Watchmen, then then maybe not. So is it more gritty than Watchmen or less gritty than Watchmen? I'd say about equally gritty, but not as deep. I think that's a fair analysis. Okay, it's short. It's a it's a it's a very short book. And it is a novel. And it's a novel. Yep. And with all the content we are supposed to consume as certified nerds, (laughs) brevity has a certain quality. Brevity, brevity has a point. <laughs> and and it does have a fairly like nice comedic core to it. So I like that. It makes me laugh. I did laugh many times throughout the whole book. <laughs> so many good parts. Yeah. Yep. There's a lot of good parts. Like, yes, maybe it like shows some some fairly like deep and intense family drama or personal drama but it doesn't have the length to do it that deeply so you're not depressed by it you like think about it you have a moment and then you're back into the comedy and i really enjoy that sounds like my kind of book it sounds like my kind of book too what's, what's the title again An office? soon i will be invincible i just edited it to my tbr that's great which is so long. <laughs> I'm probably going to add all of these books to my TBR. So yeah, I hope so. It's, it's great. It's a nice. It's a nice little book. Anyone have any more questions? Well, you know, what made you really like this book enough that you think it doesn't get enough credit, or it's not well known enough? I thought that it told some stories that uh, are less likely to be told. Um, it touched on, it touched on what it's like to be the lowest lane of a situation. It touched on what it's like to have deeply, uh, 
disappointed parents of mm. a superhero. And and it uh it told a story of child stars and the the pain that they go under when when they have to transition maybe from something that was being produced by someone else to being their own thing. So it has stage parents? It sounds a bit like uh, the boys. It's very much like the boys. It is. Uh, though a, a more sympathetic number of superheroes. <laughs> and I would say the uh, boys is quite a bit more graphic than soon I will be invincible. <laughs> Just uh, put that out there for you. Yes. Yes, that's good. <laughs> um, I had to turn the boys off because I was just like, you know, I don't like any of you people. You're all terrible and I hate you. Yeah, no, so- soon I will be invincible has many more likable characters. Superman is still a jerk, but 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 he's he's kind of like a jock version of a jerk. I agree. So like, yeah, he's annoying and like wants all the credit and it just kind of punches people. but. He has no brains behind him to be truly malicious. So he's just, is he just unself-aware? Because he's very unself-aware. <laughs> he's just a big jock, big football player who got superpowers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think not, not, not to, de- not to demean football players or, or people who participate in sports or, or jocks in general, but. Did somebody beat you up, Kip? Uh, oh my god, so many people tried. <laughs> I think Batman's proved that you could still be a jerk and a likable. <laughs> some succeeded, some got their noses broken. Whatever. <laughs> well, I think if uh, if nobody else has any more questions for Kit. I think Red, you're up next. So, uh, Lois McMaster Bajol's Five Gods series. The first book is The Curse of Chalion. Kazriel, once courtier, castle warder, and captain, now crippled ex-scally slave, seeking a menial job from the patroness of his youth, finds himself tutoring Izel, the sister of the heir to the throne. He must face a powerful enemy and a curse that is on the royal family. To fight the curse, Kazra must fight magic with magic, but magic is only available through sainthood or demon possession. And this book also won a Hugo Award. So there's that. Um, And I just... I like the unique magic system in this book. Um, It's very, very different from what we normally see because you don't learn spells or anything. That's just not how it works. And um, I think these books have a really deep understanding of the human condition. And I like that the protagonist is not a fresh-faced farm boy that a wizard comes and finds and that you become chosen. I guess you could call it chosen in this series um, by choosing to do something not because of some weird destiny or whatever and i just really like um the way she uses language and humor and i'm going to steal a quote from a later book in the series just to show kind of her the way she writes and this is at during a funeral procession um procession not possession the dray horses seem the only cheerful members of the party fresh and ponderously frisky apparently regarding the jaunt as some horsey holiday so I just like I just like the way she writes. I love her. She she has a lightness about her. Right. But it's but she deals with things that are really super serious. She does very much so. And, and she deals her all of her main characters are deeply broken people that are doing the best that they can and they make mistakes. Deeply broken people do. that find out that they're never actually truly broken. Right. Never beyond redemption. They're, Right, exactly. 
and it's just um i might start crying <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she makes me cry and she yeah i yeah i'm the tot of the group guys <laughs> even though i'm in megan's mom hey every group needs one <laughs> but um so um in the second book and you can read the, the books in any order they're not linear um the main character is a woman who whose mother is dead and her ever, all of her dreams have been destroyed and i've gone through that twice in my life where just everything that i thought was going to happen just fell apart on me and i'm kind of going through it now too and so <laughs> yeah. anyway so the way the character deals with it and the way she rebuilds herself is just it, it really literally got me through my divorce so that's my pitch <laughs> well i think that's a great recommendation <laughs> and you know Sorry. i love Bujold too yeah sounds powerful <laughs> i know <laughs> i'm all teary-eyed and it's stupid <laughs> anyway anyone have questions <laughs> So you said um, it's unlike other fantasy because it's not like about, you know, destiny and people, uh, you know, being chosen for something. But uh, so it's more character driven and they make choices and those choices are actually impactful. Yes, that's kind of what it is. So how much will Kip will tell me to shut up if I give too much away? So. Um, <laughs> so. You have to become a saint to do magic or you have to become demon possessed. Okay. And so in order to become a saint, you have to completely open um, yourself up to your God. And there's five different gods and you have to become kind of an empty cup for them to pour themselves into. So you have to choose that and you have to constantly be choosing that mm. um, in order for the gods to work for you. But the trick is you you don't get to choose the magic you perform. You just have to make yourself available to your God in order for good to be done in the world. So that's how the, the sainthood works. Mm, that sounds yeah. like a pretty... No, no, that sounds sainthood. really interesting. I think I understand. It's, sounds really yeah. re religious, which is right up my alley. And then it, it, I 100% think she's was is either a practicing Catholic or was raised Catholic. It has that feel. I, I like that in the in the Five Gods universe, there are there are no chosen people. Yeah. It is exactly as you said, and and you don't have you don't have a destiny. Right. You don't have you don't have anything forcing you to do anything. But through your own actions, you can bring like the gods' light into the world. Right, and, and it's not on them. It's not on you. It's on like a combination of both. Right, exactly. It's like a marriage, in a lot of words. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I just love that aspect. It just is nice that, and anyone can walk away at any time. You can just like say, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. And yep. so anyway. Okay. Chesky, you're up next. Sounds great. All right. Well, uh, the first book that I want to talk about is actually a book series similar to uh, here in um, mine would be The Pillars of Reality by Jack Campbell. Um, the first book is The Dragons of Dorcastle. Basic plot of this book is that um, for centuries, two great guilds have controlled the world of Demeter, uh, the mechanics and the mages. Um, they've been bitter rivals agreeing only that nothing should change, that they should both be in power that the other one is completely full of bunk. The mages don't believe in mechanics. The mechanics don't believe in the mages. 
it starts off a little slow, but it gets really good really quick. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed reading the the first book and then straight through to all the other ones. Um, why why uh, why why did you choose it for? Do you, is it niche or just under read? Well, I think it's just under read, or that no, not a lot of people know about it. Uh, I've never had anybody. I actually had this one recommended to me um, from my stepbrother, but I didn't find it on my own, and I've never had anybody else. I've never seen anybody else really talking about it. Um, the podcast talked about. Jack Campbell with the Lost Fleet, his other series, which is more science fiction. That's where I've heard that. Um, so I think he just doesn't get a lot of uh, recognition for a great book series that he wrote. Great, sounds sounds good. Okay. So is it, is it kind of like how George R. R. Martin doesn't get credit outside of Game of Thrones? <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess. Uh, even his other books, I was looking through them, and they aren't. Uh, they don't have as many reviews or ratings as as other popular books. So little surprised okay. by that when I was looking through it. So I have a book kind of like that up on my list. I'm interested to see. Yeah. Are you, okay. you mentioned mechanics. Is it, um, is it like steampunk? So like Magitech? Yeah. It's more like there's magic, which is just, you know, uh, he can alter the world around him with enough focus and, and, you know, willpower. And then the mechanics are just kind of mechanics who can build stuff. So it's a little bit of steampunk, but more just, okay. I mean, general mechanicking. He can, she builds guns, she builds, they have trains, but nothing like overtly steampunkish. Okay. But a lot of mixing of technology and magic. Except they hate each other. <laughs> so yes. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Shall I do my second yeah. one? Go right ahead. Um, has anyone read this yet? Uh, my second book is sort of Kaigen. I have not yet, but it's, it's, you know, on my distant TBR. Um, so it's on my read as well. Definitely the most recent release on my list. Um, I think it came out last year. And before I start to keep it praise, I'm going to have to uh, complain about a few things that really, really bothered me in the story. Okay. Okay. So it's it's heavily Japanese inspired, and I speak Japanese. I live in Japan, and I know a lot about history and culture here. And she's done her homework. It's obvious, but. Uh, Inside the story, she replaces regular English words with Japanese words, mm. and it absolutely breaks my immersion every single time it happens. Interesting. Yeah. But so, like, not in because you know how fantasy words have, or fantasy books have, like, random words that just happen. Yeah. Like, so not Elvis like that. Elvish, except there's <laughs> yeah, no exactly. Elvish language that they've invented. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But she, <laughs> okay. on top of that of what I just complained about. She also has tons of words that she just made up that I don't know where she got them from. Like she has a different word for time. She won't use the word time or uh, any amount of, she won't say seconds or hours. She has her own uh, counting. Mm. I just, I just read a book like that and it was weird. Yeah. It sounds like a uh, modest Yeah. It does sound a lot like modest Um, but also Mercedes Lackey does it with candle marks and I hate it so much. Oh yeah, she does. She does. <laughs> but I, I do have a soft spot. Anyways, we're getting off topic. <laughs> Come on. It's just the book. You've made us hate it already. Yes. So 
as much as that bothered me and it really, really, really bothered me, the rest of the book was so amazing that I am willing to look past it and I still gave it five stars. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No, those seem like fairly minor issues that, uh, okay. And, uh, it's, it's a story of a war or the beginning of a war. And, uh, it's in, I guess, a mountain Japanese village, but it's not called Japan. It's called Kaigen, of course. And, uh, people have magic powers. It's sort of like Avatar, the last airbender where, um, different parts of the world can control different elements. Like, uh, the invaders can move air and things. And, uh, protagonists are all, uh, ice aspected i suppose you could say and it's really is mostly a story about a family you learn how devastating war is to a family and to a village and how uh, the action's okay but that's not why i read it i read it for the wonderful wonderful written characters and the main character is a i'm 30 or 40 something uh mother and wife who gave up fighting and uh, you see nearly everything through her eyes, but you also see through her son's eyes and her, her father's, her husband's eyes. Um, but I remember I made a post on Reddit complaining about how much I hated the husband character and how he was nearly ruining my enjoyment of the book. And somebody said, just wait until you get to his part. And I said, I, I don't believe you, but I got to it and I not only did I kind of like him, but I, I understood him better, even though he was incredibly flawed, um, just like the main character, Misaki. But uh, I cried uh, at least twice while reading it because it was just so good. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's a strong recommendation for it. Then. Yeah, I was going to say, you left us speechless. Okay. <laughs> strong recommendations moving up my list. Thanks. Yeah. Anyone have any more questions? Because I think that was a glowing recommendation. It was wonderful. It really was. (laughs) See, you totally belong in this group. Totally belong. Okay, I'll go up next. My next one is Too Like the Lightning by Ada Palmer. Okay, so this book... I really have to talk about. It's how you make a dark utopia. You give us the best of humanity, living free from trouble, barely a care in the world, making settlements on the moon and Mars open for anyone. It's so bright. And then you add a secretive dark underbelly that keeps it all running. You make all the genders equal, but you do it by forbidding gendered language. You make a religion a private right guaranteed to all, (laughs) but you do it by forbidding religious talk outside of one-on-one conversations with a government-certified philosopher. (laughs) <laughs> oh no <laughs> that sounds my terrible my favorite bit though is the reorganizing of nations into these intentional communities called hives there's seven hives that have spread across the world and out of them I'd definitely be a utopian living on the moon making art, culture, and science <laughs> sounds just like you yeah yeah the, uh, they're the only hive that requires their members work. Um, but I, I don't care because they still seem amazing. What are some of the other hives like? Uh, there's the humanists that celebrate individual human achievements. There's the Mitsubishi that value <laughs> commerce and land ownership. Um, sorry, Mitsubishi Greenpeace. It's a, it's a combination of two hives. Oh. That is the most logical combination of things. Yes. Uh, The humanists run the Olympics, for example. 
they celebrate the best of what humanity can do. The uh, the Brillists uh, celebrate psychological uh, advancement and scholarship. They 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 quantify humanity down into basically a. The, the the future version of the MBTI, except it's all numbers and only a Brillist can understand it. So if I understand this right, it seems like it takes a lot of our modern isms and then uh, extrapolates it into ad absurdum. Not ad absurdum, no. Um, it, it's very realistic in approach. Like the humanists are not all like Olympians, okay. but they, but they all celebrate the values that lead into something like the Olympics. And like maybe an Olympic athlete would be especially uh, high status among humanists. Okay. But, but we got, no, definitely most people work like 20 hours a week and just enjoy themselves the rest of the time. I could get behind that kind of life. <laughs> most most like all essential production has been completely automated okay so as somebody who has not been out of the house for three weeks that sounds like a great idea <laughs> but really yeah yeah <laughs> I, I, I like the uh... and and nation borders kind of evaporated after they invented flying cars that can go across the globe in two hours oh, good. we finally get our flying cars yeah. Yes. It's about time. <laughs> Flying cars completely changed the world is the premise of the book. <laughs> Could you give us the title again? To like the lightning. And it's 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 an unfinished series so far. Um but the last book in the series should be coming out fairly quickly. Uh, so I so I do recommend it with that grain of salt, but it's very enjoyable. Yeah, that is a big grain of salt. Yeah. Okay. I just realized I forgot to give the uh, the author for my book. Any more questions? No, I think you've uh, done a great job explaining it. Sounds good. Red, do you want to go next? Okay. So up next is Carol Berg's Lighthouse Duet. The first book is Flesh and Spirit. This is a complete series. <laughs> Um, cataclysmic weather, three princes fighting over a throne. Imagine 17th century England with pagans, Christians, and Luddites and powerful magicians guild, plus all the said princes fighting it out for power over the country. A runaway son from the magicians guild, having avoided responsibility his whole life, is betrayed by a friend and rescued by a secret cabal whose purpose he can't un understand. Will he finally commit to something? And there are fairies. Great addition. <laughs> and the, it's much more the, the Celtic sense of fairies, not Tinkerbell. Could you, uh, could you tell me more about the Celtic sense of fairies? Well, like, um, you know how, have you read Dresden? Uh, yeah. Okay. So you know how the fairies are the, like, Mab, and, and they're, they're political creatures, and they're... Dark, occasionally. Very dark. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The the. Well. It, yeah. Yeah, but and not, but not necessarily evil. Yeah. It's just that their purposes aren't Terrifying. human purposes. Does that? Yeah. Does that make sense? They fight the Fomori. Not in this book, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, I know what you mean. Anyway, <laughs> um, I would say, I, I one of the things I really like about the book is just the political interplays between the characters, um, because. It takes seriously the alliances shift for reasons that have nothing to do with 
what people, I don't know even know how to explain it exactly. But you know, like sometimes the a group is with one group and then for whatever reason, they switch to a different group that they're going to ally themselves with. And you have all these different power groups mm-hmm. writing it out with each other. And it's just a really interesting book. Um, it also deals with um, addiction in a really interesting way. Uh, the main character is uh, an addict. Um, and it deals mm-hmm. with how you so often misunderstand where your parents are coming from. And then you become an adult and you learn something about them. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. So kind of mm-hmm. like what happened with the husband character, it sounds like, in your book, Huron. And it's first person. So I know that a lot of people don't like first person around here. But I like first person. Yeah. Hey, nothing wrong with what you like. <laughs> I don't mind first person. I don't mind first person. I think people seem to mind second person. Oh, that's weird to read. There's a couple <laughs> authors who've pulled it off, but it's very, very weird. The only one I know of in second person would be the uh, the fifth season by N.K. Jemison. Yeah. And she only does yeah. part of it. Yeah. I haven't read it Perfectly yet. Third. So. Yeah. It's a bit important, though. Yeah. No, it totally is. It. It, I mean, I also like choose your own adventure books. <laughs> do they still make those? For, do they make those for adults? I think it's called Life. I mean, you can find them for adults. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, there are there are the choice of, the choice of games. Yeah, it's a whole video game series. Oh, really? Including one in the Craft Universe. Really? Oh. Yes. Uh, soon, I are uh, the choice of Deathless. I think it's called. Hmm. Yep. You get you get to play your own magic lawyer making contracts with demons <laughs> and uh keeping up your medical insurance and all sorts That's of fun what stuff. I fantasy books for medical insurance. <laughs> <laughs> it really just brings it home for me when they when they talk. So. Hey, don't you want medical insurance that covers uh your transition into a deathless well, king? You know, if I could get it oh, then uh, yeah. Yeah, I would appreciate that. <laughs> Great. Okay, so does anybody have any questions for me about my book? Because we got way off topic, but that's okay. So duet, two books? It's two books. Okay. There is another two books that take place in the same timeline in the same world, but they you don't have to read them to make sense. It's a completed series. Okay. Kind of like Hyperion then. Right. And it, it's nice because, again, brevity. We all need a little brevity in our lives. <laughs> nice. With our, with our literature. Mm, I don't read enough books. <laughs> Uh, you said yeah. it, it uh, tackled themes of mm-hmm. addiction and um, I don't know parental. Yeah, yeah. Parent- well, he's a runaway who's an addict, <laughs> so it deals with that. I see. Are these magic drugs or real drugs? Magic drugs. Okay. I mean, there's real drugs too in the world. People drink. I mean, there's alcohol, but the particular addiction he has, you have to have magic to use it. Mm. Those are all the always the best drugs, right? The magicians keep the best drugs. <laughs> I, I mean, yes, very often they do. They do. Okay. Jeske. That's me. I guess it's time for another one. You guys picked all these really deep books and like great themes. And I just picked the books that I had a lot of fun with. I mean, with. I picked some superhero fluff with like some deep moments. Yes. <laughs> so don't be all judgy that mine are just not super deep. But um, the next one I chose is the Great Library series by Rachel Kane, just a five book series. You guys like books, right? They're okay. Yes. You guys like owning books, right? <laughs> oh no. Sometimes. Sometimes. I, Not, only well. buy, I only buy books that I know I'm gonna read again. 
So <laughs> I'm the same way. That's fine. In the in the great library, obviously there's a great library, but they hold a monopoly on all books. So you can't rent books, you can't own books. You have to go to the library and if they're willing to give it to you, then you can get it. You know, they can you can read it. Um, our main character, Jess Brightwell, he is a book smuggler. <laughs> so he smuggles books around to people. Um, and it deals with him entering the I'll library. I'll find my new profession. I know, right? <laughs> book smuggler. Find me up. Um, he enters the library service to be to get in so he can steal books to smuggle. But things don't go quite as he planned. Um, it's great. There's parts that just really... There's one scene where a guy eats a book and it just made me so disgusted the way he wrote the, the way she wrote it. It was, it was visceral. Like you could feel it. Like they're disgust and like his, his sense of like scaredness of like being in this person's presence who would eat a book. It was great. I loved it. Um, there's some poisonous things in books. But not just a book, just a book. So what, did, what was the point of eating the book? Well, he wants to eat the book because it's like the one of a kind book. Like, since you can't get books normally, um, when they smuggle it, it's like the only book that's out. And so by eating it, he is keeping all that knowledge to himself, basically. Like the ultimate power move. Like, I have this. Now nobody else can <laughs> ever read this or have it like no. I did. Weird. Okay. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Weird but good. I want to read it just for that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was a it was a good scene. So and they're relatively quick. I don't remember how long it took me to read them, but they were good. Any questions? Yeah, because I was thinking that too by uh the book smugglers. I don't know. I haven't read Fahrenheit four fifty one. So <gasps> oh, I'm gonna say to. less than oh, fired because I can. <laughs> well, it actually sounds like the opposite of Fahrenheit four fifty one, because people actually want books, right? Yeah, there's a lot of people that want the books but can't get them. So Yeah, and in Fahrenheit four fifty one, most people, the masses, uh shun books yeah that only a few select people are collecting them and smuggling them wow yeah, that was a weird oh, it's, a, it's a weird trip you should you should read it because it's an interesting book it's short and it's fantastic i love it it is um, it is on my yeah. list but there's just so many. it is incredibly short get pushed up higher higher so it's almost a novella i mean i probably wouldn't have read it if it wasn't required so <laughs> yeah it's almost novella length just like you could read it in that yeah. It's it's a great size that you can hide when they eventually right. outlaw books. <laughs> I have one under my mattress right. right now, just in case they come for it. Well, it's often. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure uh, Red and Kip, you guys both know, but the author said he wrote it because uh, everyone thinks it's about uh, censorship. No, but it's not. It's yeah, yeah. It's really about him saying disinterest. We're watching too much. Uh, television right yeah right it's just that they don't care anymore yeah too much information they can't sort through it to get to the good stuff yeah it's actually kind of weirdly like the internet and how it's like made it so that people don't even care about other people anymore right so it is almost exactly like twitter mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean ray bradbury was a visionary <laughs> yes he was <laughs> no people always like to argue about which uh 
classic sci-fi author got it right, whether it be uh, him or uh, who wrote Brave New World? Huxley? Yeah. Yes. And then uh, there's a lot of what, and then 1984 Orwell. It's really I think it's more of a, a mix between all of them. Yeah. I think Huxley got it pretty right. <laughs> I, he, yeah, I have my. I, I, and I think people will say that though. even more in like 20 years. Okay, I'm going to write that down for you, Kip. I feel like Huxley will have his time in 20 years when people are having uh, designer CRISPR babies and uh, endogenous drug. Oh, that makes me think, what was the movie, Gattaca? <laughs> oh my God. Well, here in the, do you want to move yeah. on to the yeah. next one? Uh, sure. Um, Sorry, Chesky. <laughs> that is fine with me. Yeah, we uh, it wouldn't be legendarium podcast without uh, a few tangents. That's right. <laughs> All right, so if, uh, I'm next. Yep. All right, so the th- next one is also fairly modern. It's uh, I, I read a lot of modern novels. Guns of the Dawn. Have you any of you heard of it? Mm, read it? I've heard of it. Never anything specific though. So please. This time I won't forget the author. Uh, his name is Adrian Tchaikovsky. Okay. Hmm. Um, so it's a fantasy of manners is what it's been described to me. And, uh, a lot of people told me that the first half was very, uh, uh, who wrote wrote Pride and Prejudice? Jane Austen. Jane Austen. Austen. Thank you. It was very Austen-like. Actually, I had my my sister who doesn't read fantasy read it. Well, that's high praise. She loved the first half. (laughs) What happens in the the second half? (laughs) (laughs) Do we suddenly leave our Regency romance? (laughs) Well, it's... No, no, that's always throughout the whole thing. And I'm not really a big romance guy. I could take it or leave it, but I I enjoyed it for what it was. But uh, I just really like the main character because just a girl doing what she thinks is right, what she's got to do. There's a lot of uh, political intrigue and relationship stuff. Um, okay. I just I have I've never read a fantasy of manners, and I enjoyed the character work a lot. Hmm. And there's a I guess you would c- categorize it as gunpowder fantasy. Okay. Okay. Sure. Or fl- flintlock fantasy is what they call it. I think either one of those is uh, just fine. Flintlock or gunpowder fantasy. Oh, flintlock. Newfangled genres <laughs> some fantasy is before they invent the flintlock yeah <laughs> <laughs> whatever happened to steampunk i mean how is steampunk different from flintlock steampunk has more dirigibles oh yeah okay. yeah <laughs> so you get balloons yeah you get balloons <laughs> and, and and then there's also gas lamp fantasy which is and slightly brown. different too you can't forget brown yes yeah, steampunk will also be brown yeah, it has to be brown. <laughs> it has to be brown, like Seneca, like the covers. Like in sepia, yeah. Yeah, yeah sepia. There you go. Sepia was the word I was looking for. <laughs> it's got it's to be full of smog. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I forgot to mention that a uh, craft sequence was a steampunk fantasy, or not steampunk, it was cyberpunk fantasy. It is kind of cyberpunk fantasy. It's very, it, it does give me some very strong neuromancer vibes. Yeah, I felt the same way. Yeah. Just like stick it to the corporation. Mm -hmm. Yep. A lot of stick it to the corporation. (laughs) (laughs) Let's make a co-op. Yeah. (laughs) So any questions about uh, the Tchaikovsky novel? 
Uh, Who do you recommend it to? Someone who likes old-timey Jane Austen books, but wants some magic and guns. Sounds good to me. That's pretty niche, but... Jane Austen. (laughs) If you you want your crinoline and rifle. (laughs) It's not that niche, I promise. There's lots of of ladies. No, that's not that niche. That sounds like a lot of people. Yeah. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Cool. Okay. Right, Kip, I think you're up. Next up, The Rook by Daniel O'Malley. Starting with a quote, the body you are wearing used to be mine. That's the first thing Miffany Thomas reads when she wakes up in a London park surrounded by bodies. Our protagonist must deal with her mysterious amnesia as she disguises herself as her former self, a rook of the superhero MI6 called the Checky. It's a lovely murder mystery where the person murdered left notes for her successor and can only hope that she'll be more capable and do her best. It's an utterly fascinating read full of really quirky and fun superpowers. Sometimes just as an aside, sometimes as as almost like a Brandon Sanderson interlude to uh, flesh out the world. Um, But unlike Brandon Sanderson interludes, they always come back to be uh, meaningful in the book they're written in. <laughs> I, I love the storm my archive, but I want to get to know that merchant girl, man. And we just don't get to. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 oh, upsetting. Yeah. But yeah, uh, reading reading the the dialogue and conversation and relationship between Miffany and her former self that knew she was going to get her memory erased and was going to cease to exist. It's really interesting. And then watching this brand new, not even like five minutes old woman wake up surrounded by bodies. And from then on have to navigate this, uh, this secret life, both secret in the sense that she works for a secret organization of the of the British crown and also secret in the sense that even those people don't know that she's like five minutes old and trying to desperately figure things out. I thought that was one of the funniest parts during the whole thing is she's <laughs> trying to live her life without alerting yeah. anybody. And everyone's like, something's a little off, but you know, we still like you and you're not like, you're like better now or like a little different. <laughs> you're like a little different now and we think we like it. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, oh, they're going to find out I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah. Like, so good. And she's like, I'm really lucky that I was the mousiest woman alive before this happened. Yeah, because nobody knew anything about her. (laughs) She was a bureaucrat. She was just the most competent bureaucrat. Okay. Hermes. She'd like she'd like forked over all of her field assignment work to her colleague uh, who did it better than her. And she was like always so insecure that like she wasn't good with her superpower. So is she responsible for the bodies or is that a spoiler? You will find out. It's that's not a big spoiler. That's like, that's like the first chapter. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So she is or is not. She's, she's not uh, the old Miffany Thomas is, was not good with her superpower. The new one. uh, Well, you find out. Yeah. I I don't think you can (laughs) say much more than that beyond. uh, (laughs) Yeah. You're never going to get spoilers out of Kip. Yeah. Nope. You find out. He even 
he makes it the most complicated like roundabouts when he could just say something super simple that's not a spoiler. We had this whole conversation we about did. your friend's book. We did. <laughs> I, I, was like, I was unable to effectively recommend that book because I didn't spoil anything. <laughs> also a book with amnesia, but it takes significantly longer for you to discover that as opposed to this one where it's like the first chapter. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, you described that scene. I, I just read a scene like that in uh, Shadow of What Was Lost. The second, the second book in the uh, Lacanus trilogy. Yeah, that's it, Lacanus. Okay, I haven't read that yet, but that's really close on my TBR. It's okay. It's okay. coming up after my Dresden reread. <laughs> <laughs> I just finished up yeah. my Dresden reread. But yeah, the, uh, I really, I really recommend the Rook. The sequel is not something you have to read. It's not nearly as good. I think most of the great ideas were in the Rook. And then once all of that is solved, the sequel is not nearly as interesting. And there is a TV adaptation. It's pretty bad. Oh, was it? It's pretty bad. <laughs> Who made it? Stars. Oh. The Stars UK. <laughs> I think that just makes it worse. <laughs> it's yeah, it, it it was trying to go for a second season, it got canceled. Um and that's really unfortunate because they ch- they changed so much that I think it I think it made things significantly worse. That's actually yeah, I, I mean, if you're if you really like the book, maybe read it or maybe maybe watch the show because you know, any any adaptation is better than no adaptation to some people. But if you're one of those people that can't stand to see their book ruined on screen, don't watch the adaptation. <laughs> oh, boy. I usually prefer to watch it before I read it. That way I feel better about the book. Does that make sense? <laughs> like when I watch adaptations, mm. although I thought they did a pretty good job with um, Good Omens. That was pretty good. Oh, Good Omens is lovely. Yeah. 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 That's a great adaptation. And I yeah. think people who like the book like the show and people who like the show often like the book. Um, yeah, two, two episodes in. Okay. Uh, I, I wasn't disliking it. I just stopped. It's very, it's very dry British humor. I'll say that. Oh, I love the book. Okay. Then I got, I got nothing. Yeah. Yeah, you should finish it if you get a chance. Yeah, that's that's the rook. Okay, Red, you so go? Sabriel, written by Garth Nix. All you need to know about this book is that Sabriel is a senior in an English style boarding school, and when her anti necromancer father gets in trouble, she takes up her his bells, sword, and book, and goes to save him, no matter what how many zombies get in her way. This is about an amazing girl who fights zombies with bells. With bells? With bells. It's- I mean, that's exactly what happens, and it's amazing. <laughs> it's so great. It's so great. And it has deep themes, too, it's Chesky, but I just want you to know my other books. And the bells have names. You, on the surface level as well. you don't have to get into the deepness. <laughs> anyway, but, um, but yeah, no, it's just so much fun, and there's a talking cat. And later in the series, there's a talking dog. <laughs> I mean... Yeah. What can you not love? It should have started with a talking dog. And the first book stands alone yes, pretty much absolutely. as a finished story. Yes. It does. The second two bi- books have to go together. And yes. then the, they're actually one long book. The second two books are mm. one long book. Mm-hmm. But the f- the first one is it's a short read. It's YA. So it's 
light and fluffy in a lot of respects. It's it's YA ish. It's it it stands up very well to an older audience. Oh, for sure. But yeah, I just mean it was written with a YA audience in mind. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Just judging from the language in it, but it's really good. It's just so much fun. We're fighting zombies with bells, folks. Fighting zombies with bells, and each bell has its own name, its own mythology. It's great. I thought it was very well explained throughout the whole book. It really kept you, kind of just taught you along with it, with her already knowing everything, though. Mm -hmm. And Brandon Sanderson credits Sabriel with inspiring his own magic systems and his laws of magic. Yeah. I did not know that. When was it written? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to look that up. Let me pull it up. More than 30 years? Uh, Sabriel was written in 1995. Yeah. And there's still books coming out in that series, but none of them. Yeah, the original trilogy is good. The the sequels are not nearly as good. Yeah, I agree with that. I still like them, though. <laughs> they got significantly more YA, I feel. That's a fair criticism. Mm. I still I, the author started writing children's books now, and I think it's leaked into his other series. Yeah. I have read his other children's books, both as a child and an adult, and I did enjoy them all. So yeah, yeah. yes, definitely. Yeah. Does he stick with fantasy for most? Yeah, I think he has some sci-fi because there's Shade's Children. I think is what yeah, that's a weird one, but it's good, but it's weird. It's kind of sci-fi, kind of, kind of fantasy, kind of post-apocalyptic, a dystopian, dystopian. Yeah. So it's a it's a dystopian sci-fi with some shades of fantasy and unexplained magic. Yeah. Yeah. So is it like it's a science fantasy? Yeah, sure. Okay. It's got automated uh, cars and magic children. And those okay. magic children are <laughs> horrific. Yeah. It's sad, but it's good. It's very very sad magic children. <laughs> <laughs> not happy magic children <laughs> unlike sabriel who fights zombies with bells and is amazing and and, and does it and does it with her english uh like etiquette instructor's voice in her head yes i forgot about that part <laughs> <laughs> like oh miss so-and-so would never approve of this <laughs> <laughs> and she she's like she has her house is filled with magic servants and she tries using her her voice to order the servants around her you know lady of the house voice and it doesn't work and it's just <laughs> so great. It's a great series. And it does have some fun humor in it. Uh though I think Lyriel has significantly more humor in it, the second book in the series. Yes, for sure. For sure. The one with the talking dog. And oh no, pipes. Oh, and magic pipes. Oh, and there's magic books too, by the way. Yes. That only certain people can open. All three of the things her father leaves her the sword, the bells, and the book. All super magic. <laughs> Does it have non magic things in the story? Because I hear talking dogs, talking cats, talking books. No, the books don't uh, talk. Come on, they just can't be open. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, the, the books don't talk. They just maybe melt your mind if you're not meant to read them. Yeah, there's lots of non-magic things. There's people walking around. There's a fishing yeah. boat. <laughs> Only the fishing boats are non-magic. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of them. 
have a, actually is a magic boat, isn't there? There is a magic boat. <laughs> There's magic planes too made out of paper. But actually yes. there is a lot of non-magic because the, the school that Sabriel went to is in across the wall. There's a wall that where these two worlds have collided. And the magic doesn't work on one side of the wall and it does work on the other side of the wall. And she's from the magic yep. side, but she's been educated in the non-magic side. But the wind sometimes blows yes. magic over the wall. And so like her boarding school gets like a little bit of magic. But what they can do with the magic at school is fairly limited. And the electricity goes out when the magic is. Yes. And electricity and technology don't work the closer you get to magic. Right. And the other side of the wall is kind of like, I would say, 1920s technology. 1920s. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'd say about about the 20s. Yeah. Uh, and it's very much like an English analog, and it's great. Yes, it's so England. <laughs> There's cricket. I mean, there there is cricket. There's a cricket <laughs> team, and and uh, it the it's an all women boarding school for young ladies of quality. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe how long it, we're spending on this book, but it's just so much yeah. fun. <laughs> But it's the only one with a sorcery program. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm looking at the cover now. They're, the bells are on the cover, too. Yeah. Yes, they are. The bells are big. The bells are a big deal. Yeah. Yep. And they're so much fun. Like, she she has one bell that could, if, she, if you ring it, it sends everybody within hearing uh, distance into death. They just go into death. Yep. Oh. Death, death is a realm. There's nine realms of death. It's very interesting. Yeah. And it's a river that carries souls away. And then there's the zombies are. So instead of being reanimated. So you know how like zombies in our normal sense are kind of like rambling monsters with no brains. The people who are zombies are people who have crawled out of death and claimed a body. Yes. Yeah, souls that a necromancer has brought out of death. Right. Unless they're one of the greater dead. And it's her father's job to uh, banish them back to whence they came. He's the abhorsen, which is why. The good necromancer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Anti-necromancer was a good way to put it. Anti-necromancer, yep. So you guys have any questions? No, I think you guys definitely covered everything that I have a question about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I know this story. I was thinking of doing a reread, but not anymore, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh no did we let the spoilers out kid we did not we did not i thought you guys I did great so. <laughs> yeah i liked hearing you geek about, geek out okay jesky you're next uh, that's me all right i've got two options for you here i can go with uh alex varis which is about it's a similar to dresden or i can give you the coolest magic system you've ever heard of Coolest magic oh. system. Yeah, you're you're really selling the second one. <laughs> well, uh, they're both good, but uh, you can give me something like Dresden, but oh, I'll let me give you that's what it is, but it's great. Look, look, we're all stuck inside these days. Sometimes we're gonna need to sacrifice quality just to have a book. That's right. All right, let me tell you guys about Libriomancer by Jim C. Hines. Um, it's a series, there's four books. Um, the main character, his name is Isaac Vano, and he is a Libriomancer, which means that he can pull things out of books. So you read a book, 
you think, hey, that'd be really cool if I had that physical thing or that whatever in real life. Bam. How big a thing? It uh, depends on how people. big a book it is. You have to be able to pull it through the book. <laughs> oh, okay, so you can't pull a car through the book. Unless you had a really big book. Ah. How common are these, are these mancers? Uh, not super common, but there are multiples of them. Um, Can you pull out people? Yes. Well, yes and no. Oh. It would give a little bit away, <laughs> but no, not generally. They're generally too big or too complex. Um, but mm. there are theoretically could- so it is slightly more. It's it's a mix of soft and hard magic. Where there are a lot of rules, but there's also a lot of flexibility. Um, okay. So the main plot Can of the book, you could, yes. Okay. Could a Libramenta <laughs> just petition a publisher to make a really, 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 really big book? Actually, so that's book. part of the books. You know, is that uh, yeah, yeah, I'm betting the most powerful ones are publishers. Yeah. So <laughs> the uh, the guy who's kind of the head of the Libromancers is Gutenberg. Yes. Gutenberg of the printing press. <laughs> hey, they are publishers. So every so often. Gutenberg or is it somebody with that name? No, no, it's literally him. No, actual. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. It's a secret world. So, you know, obviously they uh, if they really need something read or built, they will commission somebody to read it or to write it. Um, obviously, Libromancer, the, the more the book is read and kind of believed in, the stronger or the more you can pull things out of it or the more effective it is when you pull it out. So they have to make good books. They can't just write trashy novels that don't work. <laughs> and uh, part of his um, job is to read books and figure out what good things are in books that they can use. Oh, that sounds like a great job. Right? Magical researcher, yes. This is a great object. The magic system decides how good a book is. That's interesting. Well, kind of by <laughs> belief, but yeah. So it was great. Uh, there's vampires. There's new things. By the end of the series, people are pulling. There's a new Libromancers who can pull magic out of ebooks versus out of books. <laughs> so I like... I like this author. Use one of those screens on Times Square. (laughs) (laughs) I have questions. Sure. Ask a question. Okay. So the the magic you pull things out of a book. Can you just endlessly pull like the same thing out of a book? Uh or do you need to buy a new copy of the book? Does that make sense? No, yeah. You can pull out of the same copy of a book, but the more you pull things out of a book the more now air quotes here degraded that book copy can become. And then based on how good it is kind of means how long you can use that book, you know, until Hmm. the degradation gets too big. And then you have to wait until it kind of fades away. Otherwise there are consequences for doing it. So I can't pull 10 puppies out of a book about puppies. Well, if it was a really good book, you probably could. But then you might oh not be able to pull puppies out of that book for a while, right? Or anybody okay. else in the whole world could <laughs> do reco- that, right? And then it recovers? Yeah, and then it would recover over time. Okay. I, I got a sure. question. Um, you said the magic kind of depends on how good the book is. Mm-hmm. But is it really how good it is or how well-read it is? Um, it's a little bit more how well-read it is slash how much people believe in the book itself. 
So if you had a lot of people reading a really bad book, it wouldn't be as good as a lot of people reading a really good book. Just because there's that level of belief and like in the book. But it would be would it be better than like one person reading a really good book? And I would maybe. I don't know. It doesn't really give me like really good <laughs> specifics. This is all speculation. I have biscuit upstairs okay. that okay. lots and lots of kids have read, and it has a puppy that I could pull out of it. Yeah. Um, I do want to put just a slight um, content warning um, just with uh, sexuality and stuff. It's not bad, um, but there's one character who has a lot uh, kind of stuff going on. It's not horrible, but it just maybe not for like the youngest of kids. Okay. I won't have okay. three-year-old nieces reading it. Yeah, probably not, but I would say <laughs> maybe 16 and up. Read? Fine. I don't know. <laughs> Good point. I won't read it to them. <laughs> Do you guys have any other questions for me about it? Oh, uh, yes. I have. Oh, I think we asked plenty. Oh, sorry. I got one more. <laughs> one more. <laughs> this, this magic okay. system is just really interesting to me. Um, I agree. Are, are there groups of people like trying to uh, increase the merit of some not so good books? Yes. So, like. I don't know. You, you you got governments around the world like hiring people to get on the internet and become warriors and like ch- change public opinion, right? So it's fairly easy to change public opinion, especially about things that are subjective. But yeah, does that come up. It comes up um, not so much. It's not really kind of stays out of politics. I mean, you just need to pay off some book <laughs> yeah, reviewers. Pay off some book reviewers or uh, <laughs> Florence Foster write your own book. That put it out there um no it's uh yeah it a little bit not really um one part is one more thing and then i'll be done with this when i promise um isaac is talking with one of his friends who was a libromancer and she's been turned into a vampire and her excuse was well now i have all the time in the world to read all these books that i was never able to get to before I think that's what most people would think after they become vampires. As yeah. Happens, you know. Well, you know. So <laughs> I let's mean, move on to another one. It's my turn, right? Yes. Um, yep. The next one I chose was the Goblin Emperor. Have I, are any of you read this? No. No. I have, but it's been a while. Um, it's by Catherine Addison, I believe. And uh, I read it as part of the Reddit. I read it as a part of the Reddit. Uh, what's it? What do they have? Bingo. Yeah, the book Bingo. That's what yeah, I. Slice of Bingo. Life. That's book what Bingo. I read it for as well. Um, I don't know what Slice of Life means, but uh, I-, I loved it a lot. It uh, it only follows one character, and he's the uh, he's not a bastard son, but he's the son of an elf king and a goblin woman, and goblins are not really seen. Uh, thought highly of in this kingdom and suddenly one night all of his family dies and he becomes the emperor so um there's a little bit of political intrigue but that's not why i enjoyed it uh i thought it was really fun to not really fun but i enjoyed following this one character while he he's just genuinely a good person at heart and uh he has to learn how to run a kingdom while still keeping his humanity yeah, he's very inexperienced in regards to like what it actually takes to run a kingdom because 
it was never a possibility for him before. Mm. And all of a sudden he's thrust. Everything is, is on him now. And uh, that deals with abuse too. He was abused. Okay. How to. So it's slice yeah. of life for a king. Emperor. Okay. Emperor. Sorry for a yep. new emperor. <laughs> I think slice of life as a genre is supposed to be about you talk about the times where there is no like specific crisis that would normally make for a, mm. a different kind of book. For like, you know, a Sanderson book, there's always some sort of crisis, small or large. The world is in danger. And if you're just, you know, if it's just the story of how you're, you're being like an okay, mediocre king or whatever, or even a good one, but like not necessarily facing like a, an apocalypse. So like the, the, like the <laughs> that's kind of slice of life for the merchant girl. I want that book would be a slice of life book. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Are we getting yep. more of her? I hope so. Yes, we're definitely getting more of her. I love her so much. She's been like one of the most consistent interlude POVs. <laughs> Off topic. Again. <laughs> uh, I, I think it is confirmed that he said we're getting more of her. Yeah. Oh, good. Yes. So any questions? Uh, what's your favorite menial little tiny struggle that he has? Um, it's hard to say. Um, I don't remember much. It was a while ago. Like dealing with the housekeeper? I think it was just know. him dealing with people and being generally nice to them and caring and having them be completely flummoxed as to why he's being nice to them or how he's trying to trick them. But he's just being a nice person. Right. Yeah, I like all those stories where they kind of go into <laughs> okay. a, a person who doesn't understand like how the game is played and they're thrust into a situation where they're forced to play the game and they win by not playing. Interesting. I feel like I have to plug Spinning Silver right now. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> By Naomi Novik, Spinning Silver. It's a retelling of the story of Rumpelstiltskin. Oh, I could not figure in, out what it was a retelling in, of. In like uh, in Europe, except the protagonist is Jewish. Yeah, it's really good. Um, is this by the same yeah. author uh, as Uprooted? Yes, okay. same author. Um, which is why I'm definitely going to read Uprooted because Spending Silver was fantastic. And I didn't know that it was the book I wanted to read. I liked Uprooted. I have not read either yet. So. Oh, you are missing out. You've got to read them both. They're quick, they're easy, just fun. Okay. Done with Goblin Emperor? Yeah. And then somebody has the questions. Oh, he already finished. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I think we're good. Okay. On to my next one. Oryx and Crake by Margaret Atwood. Always timely. Oryx and Crake doesn't get as much attention as The Handmaid's Tale, but in my opinion, it's a much more prescient book. It tells the story of a world which nearly destroyed itself through the greed of corporations, men, and pharmaceuticals. Uh, it's written in a style which takes two uh, viewpoints, mostly. It takes that of Jimmy and that of Snowman. And they're, they're in different eras, but they work very well together. And it tells the story of the world before the collapse and the story of the world after. Uh, and in this time of global pandemic, I thought... <laughs> 
uh, maybe it deserves some more attention. Handmaid's Tale had its time, and now I think Oryx and Crake should be a book that people pick up. Wait, when you mentioned wow. a story of before and after a collapse, all I could think of is Final Fantasy VI. <laughs> I mean, Final Fantasy explores the corporation uh, destroying the world a lot. So Great. I'm going to read it now. It's my favorite Final Fantasy. Weirdly, mine is eight, but that's just because it was the first one that I had. Weirdo. <laughs> yeah. Also, also, also Squall, Squall is hot. <laughs> and he had a great jacket. He had a great jacket. And hair. Don't forget the hair. And hair and gun blade. Hair. How'd that haircut go? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, uh, I, I am. I've got like a half inch of hair on my head. It's great. Okay, so that's Oryx and Crake. Oh, and also at the heart of it is a love story. So it's a romance. I feel like that's a recurring. A sad love story, but a love story. Oh, those are the worst ones. Oh. Yep. Okay. Next. I'm passing. <laughs> Jessica, you want to tell us about Alex Varis, your cut rate Dresden? <laughs> you are passing. Because <laughs> we can only reread Dresden so many times. <laughs> <laughs> I've only read it once. I need to do my reread. I will. I will tell you about I've only Alex done it twice, Varys. and I feel like I'm, so... I'm good. <laughs> There's lots of Easter eggs. So, Alex Varis, uh, he's a, a wizard, magician, right? He lives in London, but he does not put his name in the paper. He runs a magic shop, sells little magic items or a lot of fake magic items as well, just for to stay in business, to try and meet people. Um, Alex is a mage, but his ability is divination. So seeing the future, predicting the future. Um, it's great. The story of the first book is that the council there's a dark council and a light council. The light council and the dark council both come after him to get him to open up a special lock. Um, and then it just goes from there. Um, it starts off, I think, a little bit better than the Dresden series where Dresden kind of took three books to kind of get started and roll you into it. Whereas this kind of just starts where like book four would start for. Starts yeah. good. Well, Let's not say that the first three didn't start good, just that by the fourth one, you're really moving into a, a wide open world. And this one, I think, only takes like one uh, okay. or two books and then it's it's completely wide open. A couple of really funny things is he uh, he never practices shooting or like throwing anything because he cheats and looks in the future until he sees the future that he kill He shoots the person correctly and then just does that. <laughs> he swats a grenade back at somebody once because of course you can just predict that kind of thing you know so yeah yeah it's quite good he explains it well he's a great limitation but a great power that you would never think of as uh i mean you'd think yeah seeing the future is always useful but the way it's written makes it really hey, for, better. Foresight is, is a ninth level spell in Dungeons and That's Dragons. Right. So, so how far... <laughs> but, you know... Oh, I sorry, what? Say, how far in the future can he see? Like, ten minutes, ten years? Um, variables, but uh, he has an unconscious sight going of about, like, five minutes. So, you know, or like, depending on how stressed he is or how imminent his life's in danger, 
in a fight, he's got about three seconds of future sight. But in general, you know, oh, I know somebody's going to walk through the door in five minutes or blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Quite good. Just it's a good recommendation. I think it is. Let me look. The 11th book is coming out this year, hopefully. And I think that's pretty close to being the end of it if it's not the end of it. That's interesting. What's the, what's the title so, again? Sorry. Oh, the first one is called Fated by uh, Benedict Jacka. I'm, I'm now imagining all of the things that Miffany Thomas from The Rook would do if she could see five minutes into the future. Sounds like fanfic for you to write, Kip, in your downtime. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it's more interesting that Miffany only has like some very fleeting access to like divination. She gets like a warning from <laughs> Cersei at one point, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> so any other questions beyond uh, you should go read it? All right. So Lord of Light, how many of you have read this? Me? Yeah, I, Not I. Yeah, I know. I know Kip likes it. Yeah, I love this book. I love it. I love it. Uh, so it's science fantasy. Uh, the author is uh, Zelazny. What's his? Yep, name? Roger Zelazny. Roger Zelazny, mm-hmm. and uh, he he wrote the Chronicles of Amber. Uh, I think this is the most famous series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, I did not like. Those books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I they're okay. I I love Lord of Light, but it's a uh, it's science fantasy, but the. Science is like total nonsense. It's mostly just cool stuff. Yeah. Um, so it takes place in the far, far, far future. There's no, there's no Earth anymore. Hum- humanity has colonized different planets, and uh, and the early colonizers on a certain planet uh, basically got godlike powers because of the reincarnation machine, and so they they get to control humanity uh, because uh, they control who gets to live, who gets to keep living. Uh, so they control the technology, so they control the people. That That's the idea. Is it kind of like the, I can't remember what they're called, the things in Dune that keep bringing Dungeon, uh, Duncan Idaho back? Oh, the... Uh, the the Golem? No, yeah. The Gola. No, I should talk about the, yeah, the Duncan Golem. Yeah. The people who make the Gola. Gola. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The Ben Benetilaxu. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, kind of. Okay. Uh, it's less like that and more like they grow new bodies for everybody before they die and then transfer your soul over into the new yeah. body. Well, okay. Wow. Uh, but uh, what's cool about the story is all of these original colonizers take on the aspects of former Earth gods, mainly uh, those of the Hindu pantheon. Mm-hmm. So they kind of go back through into uh, Hindu mythology and they try to look like them and act like them and take on their aspects and like if it's a fire god then they'll just be encased in fire all the time and so they've kind of made their own religion and people worship them and uh the main character uh he's he's one of the original uh colonizers of the planet the first people there but he's tired of the system because he used to be part of it and he takes on the role of uh booty uh buddha sorry booty (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Shaka, uh, Shakamuni, right? 
And so he spreads the uh, the idea of Buddhism throughout the the common people as a way to overthrow the, the pantheon that are currently ruling. And it's just it's full of lots of really cool imagery. Uh, it's got a lot of really cool religious stuff. Uh, there's there's also a Christian god there, but he well, he's not a Christian god, but he's a Christian. <laughs> he's a very warped warped yes, Christian god. Yeah, the, the Hindus too. I he, I think he was my favorite character actually. Nariti yeah. the Black. Yeah. It's it's really, really cool. Is he a bad guy? He's kind of a bad guy. Yeah, I'd say I'd say he's <laughs> he's yeah. <laughs> I'd say there's a bunch of bad guys and sometimes the enemy the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Okay. But even the main yeah. characters I wouldn't really even categorize as a good guy. No. It's better than a bunch, but not yeah. great. <laughs> Are the characters likable? Because I don't mind reading bad guys as long as I can like the characters. Does that make sense? I think yeah, Sam I think is likable. Likable. Yeah. I just don't think he's doing everything. His his name is Maha Sam Atman, but you can drop the Maha and the Atman, and you just have Sam. Nice. Because <laughs> that's why I quit reading the the Am- the Amber books because I just hated the main character. I know what you mean. Mm. No, Sam. Sam, I think is definitely likable. I mean, his motivation okay. isn't so pure, but he himself, I think, is good. Cool. It's also very clear that like all of the characters are slightly larger than life. Okay. And like almost like a morality play. Okay. Hmm. Uh, so, so they're interesting in that regard. Okay. Yeah. I think I think I might give it a try. Think they're, they're all they're all magnified into these these godlike aspects yeah and they they gain magic powers um and and they talk like it it's not really quite clear how <laughs> but most importantly they talk like it <laughs> <laughs> they give speeches they they have philosophical conversations they have um deep meaningful personal bonds that transcend really? time. I, I just thought it was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In this book too. If if one god dies, uh, another god has to take his place, especially if it's a really powerful god. Okay. Yeah. And there's even trans representation. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's great. I forgot about that. And if that wasn't enough to sell it, it won the Hugo Award. It. Almost inspired its own theme park. Uh, really? And it was the script that they used when they rescued, when the CIA rescued all those hostages in Iran. Oh, I knew that. And that they made <laughs> the movie Argo about. Huh. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was a script good enough to, uh, <laughs> to fool Iranian terrorists. <laughs> it's very old, yeah. It is an older book, yes. yes. I, I never hear anyone talk about it. I didn't know it was that popular. I feel like 60s. It was. It used to be popular, mm. and that's why it's underrated and needs to come back. I agree. Okay. Okay. Last one, Kip. Last one. Okay. I, I saved. I saved my most complicated pick for last. The Uplift War by David Brin. If you want a grand story that is unafraid of dropping you in the middle of the conflict, read this book. Humans are in the process of reviving the dying planet of Garth when they're attacked by the bird-like Gubru. As they seize the planet, Garth's fighters, two ally ambassadors, and one of their daughters has to flee into the wild jungles of Garth to escape persecution. 
It's a story with truly alternate species viewpoints, which I don't see enough of, and I appreciate Bryn a lot for that. He does even more intense aliens in his main uplift cycle, which this is just one out of uh, six books. So check that out if you like. But this is a completely self-contained story. So is this is this before or after the yeah. other uplift books or kind of just in the middle? It's it's kind of separated because it takes place on an unrelated mm-hmm. planet, like a backwater planet. So like what else is happening in the universe isn't super important at that time. So I would say that like maybe it takes place before most of the others it takes after Sundiver and around the same time as Star Tide Rising. Okay. But it's self-contained so it doesn't matter. Yeah. So there's like I read Star Tide. I thought it was weird. Like this is one of Earth's minor outlying colonies. And they're, they're rehabilitating a dying world because that's all that galactic civilization will, will grant them as a colony. There's like this planet that was already dying because another species misused it. And Earth is apparently getting a reputation for being able to clean up planets like that. Playing against type, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's almost like they have experience. But yeah, it's, it's a really interesting series. It's an interesting book. There's a species of jokesters called the Tim Brimmy, which I'm in love with. One, the, the greatest art of their culture is the practical <laughs> joke. And I love them for that. <laughs> and as an ambassador to this human planet, they sent one of their least... Uh, least humorous members <laughs> to hope that maybe he would be able maybe humans would think he wasn't so weird so are but that just means that like his idea of humor is like oh i'll put a stink bomb in this departing <laughs> ambassador's craft <laughs> so are that you said so the humans wouldn't think they're weird so are the characters not human did, did I miss uh like well there's there's two tim Brimmy, which are aliens they're the ambassador and his daughter there's a there's a Thenin, which is an, another ambassador, but then everyone else is either human or chimpanzee. Uh, so there aren't any dolphins. There are there are no dolphins on Garth. Uh, the oceans don't suit them. Are Darth? But hu- humans have uplifted chimpanzees and okay. dolphins to full sentience. We had to pick two. I guess those would be the two we picked. Yeah, hmm. yeah. And uh, once galactic society found humankind. They decided, oh, no, 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 you, you can't have more than two. You guys are a baby race on your own. <laughs> you only have one planet and you already have two client species. No, we're, you're done. The rest of them are protected from your meddling. And like some of that was good, was like good natured stuff. But it turns out that all of galactic society is based on a power structure of how many client species do you have? So they also didn't want humans to like have more credit than they thought they were due. That makes see. sense. So I think yeah. I remember that from Star Tide. So are there some smart chimpanzees and some not, or are they all smart? They're graded on a curve. Uh some uh, there is one example in in the series of a of a chimp who's not as uplifted as the rest. He's nonverbal, has to communicate through a uh I was through say a tablet. One of those things like Amy has in Congo. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, very, very much. Yeah, yeah. But the uh, the ambassador does not devalue his skills or treat him as any less of a person, and it's great. And meanwhile, there's other ones that are like PhD candidates or full doctors um, that are that are characters that we get to see. One is a soldier, 
And then we also get to see like every chimpanzee is graded on a curve. Sorry, grade, graded on a color scale. So you've got red cards, which aren't allowed to reproduce. And you've got white cards, which have unlimited reproductive rights. Okay. And, and various shades in between. It's, it's a really interesting look on, on racism, privilege, a whole bunch of things. And, and an oppressive galactic society that makes them do this grading system in the first place. Oh, so that, that's not even something that humans imposed on, on the chimpanzees. Humans apparently are being so much less restrictive, like the minimum level of restrictive that galactic society would tolerate. That's um, surprising. <laughs> yeah. It's a little surprising, but, it, but it's still really like fish. It's really fascist. <laughs> like, like an enlightened version of fascist, but it's still eugenics, and that's really disturbing. Mm. That was a good talk, everybody. It was. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so I think that just about wraps up this episode. That was fun. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. Oh, and Horizon Brave says hi. Make sure to get that in. <laughs> hi, Horizon Brave. Hi, Horizon. Okay, Horizon Brave says hi. Hi, Horizon. This is all his fault. <laughs>